Genesis 23. Let's read again 1 through uh, 1 through 7. And then we'll, there's a couple points that we missed on it. Will you read it, Harry? <coughs> and Sarah was 107 and 20 years old. These were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died in Kirjath Kir, Kir Arba, the same as Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham came to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. And Abraham stood up from before his dead and spake unto the sons of Heth, saying, I am a stranger and a sojourner with you. Give me a possession of a burying place with you, that I may bury my dead out of my sight. And the children of Heth answered Abraham, saying unto him, Hear us, my lord, thou art a mighty, mighty prince among us, and the choice of our sepulchres bury thy dead. None of us shall withhold from thee his sepulchre, but that thou mayest bury, mayest bury thy dead. And Abraham stood up and bowed himself to the people of the land, even to the children of Heth. Okay. <coughs> We talked about mourning and weeping and all that good stuff. In verse 4, he's been here about 12 years, I think is what it is, if we calculated it out. But he still said, he uses the word, I'm a stranger and a sojourner with you. And the word stranger is the word which means a guest, and it would be what you would call a house guest. And the word sojourner is the word toshab, which means a temporary dweller. And it's like, even though he'd been here that long, in the promised land, he still called himself a stranger and a guest. And it's, it's one of the many indicators that Abraham knew that the actual physical land was only the allegory. I mean, we'll, we'll see in a thousand places through the scriptures that, 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 that make the idea of modern evangelism and you know, everybody go back to Israel a lie. Because Abraham saw that the promised land was an allegory. And so, um, there's never a place that's our home. Never. And and that's the thing that most modern Christianity forgets. They try to make this land good. Let's go to Hebrews 11. We'll see it a little bit differently. Let's, no, let's, let's, let's look at it in, in order. Go to first to Psalm 39. Well, this is written by David when he was in the physical Jerusalem. Verse 12 is the operative verse, but uh, let's start in verse 7. And now, o Lord, and now, Lord, what wait I for? My hope is in Thee. Deliver me from all my transgressions. Make me not the reproach of the foolish. I was dumb, I opened not my mouth, because Thou didst it. 
Remove thy stroke away from me; I am consumed by the blow of thine hand. When thou with rebukes dost correct man for iniquity, thou makest his beauty to consume away like a moth. Surely every man is vanity. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear unto my cry. Hold not thy peace at my tears, for I am a stranger with thee, and a sojourner, as all my fathers were. O spare me, that I may recover strength before I go hence, and be no more. Again, here, here, and they're in the physical Jerusalem, in the promised land, and David <coughs> is testifying that he's a stranger and a sojourner. Now let's go to... Uh, Hebrews 11, verse 8 through 16. Would you read it, Pete? By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out not knowing whither he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed, and was delivered of a child when she was past age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore sprang there even of one, and him as good as dead, so many as the stars of the sky in multitude, and as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country whence they came out, they might have had an opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country, that is, in heavenly, where God is not, wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. Okay. Again, this is written to the church in Jerusalem, allegedly by Paul, but it doesn't matter. They're in the promised land, in the promised city of Jerusalem. And they're still saying, you know, they seek a better country, they, a heavenly. Now, that doesn't mean heavenly out there. It's, it's, it's the, the point is, is that we always seek the, the new Jerusalem. Abraham did it. David did it. Paul did it. Let's go to 1 Peter, chapter 2. See what Peter, see what Peter says. Right after Hebrews. Hebrews, James, 1 Peter. Verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 9. 9 to 11. Well, I'll read it. Yeah. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, 
that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have, have obtained mercy. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Okay. Again, see the context. He's not talking, you know, the word lust there is the, is the Greek word which simply means desires. And, it, and it's the idea that knowing you're a stranger in a strange land, or as Moses said, he said, Moses said, worse than that, in the Hebrew it says he's an alien in a bizarre land. We're, we're aliens. And from a real standpoint, in terms of, we, we are as much an illegal alien as Marta is. This, we are not part of this system, and the abstaining from fleshly lusts simply means that the desires that the flesh has to settle down, to become entangled with this place, wherever this is, because we are from a different country, a different planet, a different system of law. This Bible has nothing to do, even though the Judeo-Christian ethic was based, and a lot of the law of our country was based on this, we still have nothing to do with this, this country. And we've seen now Abraham say it, Moses said it, David, Paul, Peter, John said it too, which we don't have to go into that. But let's go to Revelation now and see what it says. Revelation 20, 21. But the point of all this is that don't be surprised if you're unable to make alliances. Don't be surprised if in your attempts to make alliances with any system that you happen to be a part of, that you don't feel fulfilled, because it's just the Holy Spirit saying, don't make alliances. Revelation 21, verse 9. I got a question I need to ask, and kind of, it's out of place, but I need to ask it, and I tried not to, but I couldn't. And it's what we just read. This is something I've wondered about for a long time. What we just read about uh, fleshly lust, which war against the soul. Is the soul sort of sitting in the middle <clears throat> between the flesh on one side and the spirit on the other? Uh -huh. I mean, the, those two war against each other. And if the soul's in the middle, the war is for the soul. Well, remember, remember, my Paul said that we are to be sanctified, holy, body, soul, and spirit. The spirit or the seed of Christ, is sanctified by its nature. <clears throat> in, 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 in Galatians, it says, um, the flesh is trying to suppress down the spirit, and the spirit is trying to suppress down the flesh, so that you can't do the things that you would. And so in that context, the war... Um, 
The war is between the spirit and the flesh, and the soul is caught in the middle. And 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 when I'm not in a moment of revelation, when I think I'm me, that that's soul. I think I'm soul. Or what it is that I call I is soul. Being pulled back and forth between these two. Yeah, it's like uh, if you say. Um, I think I am something. And then which I is you? Do I, I mean, this is the great existential question. I mean, if you have, you know, we've said it before, and I don't think it hit you, but, you know, it's ludicrous to say my hand. I mean, that's redundancy beyond redundancy. Who, Whose else hand could it be? <laughs> but why do I feel a necessity to put a personal pronoun on the hand. It's because it's the evidence of this warfare. You should just, you know, hand. I, I've wondered the same thing. I mean, you use soul in a, a different way than, than, you know, a lot of it, you know, I thought it was body, mind, and soul. You know, I, or, I can interchange that really. Well, I know. <coughs> One of the things that happens in the subtleties of religion is that they talk about the soul as that which is eternal. Right. Well, the soul isn't eternal. You know, it can be if it's sanctified. Because it's made part of the soul and becomes part of the the universal body of Christ. But the independent soul can't be saved. There's no such thing as the salvation of the isolated self or the isolated soul. And so somehow in religion it's gotten to be where soul and spirit are interchangeable. And it's confused. And I remember when the, 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 I gave a simple talk at Highland Park United Methodist Church once. And it was over this issue. And I drew a I drew a, a seed, if you will. This is a kernel of wheat. And I said, the out the out the outward is the body. And this thing in the and sort of in the, in the half center is the soul. And this is the spirit, which is the seed of Christ. Well, then I talked about why, in order, you know, that the, the, that the seed had to fall into the ground and die. If it didn't, it would abide alone. But in the dying, it brings forth life. And if this is a seed that's down here, well, if, if your identity is either the body or even the soul, as that seed is dying, it, it, it becomes terrible. I mean, it's all gunky, smelly. But if your identity is the spirit or the seed of Christ, then it's joy, even the fact that it's going through all this dirt and gunk and being pushed up above the ground. But the soul is your, is your heart, your mind, your emotions, your will, 
It's the soul is what makes you an independent you. <coughs> the body is all obvious. The body is the vehicle by which you interface with the world. You're the dead, soul yeah. is what makes you you. And the seed of Christ, or the spirit, is that which is eternal from the Father. And God desires that you would be sanctified, or in other words, totally set apart in every arena. It feels this way, and I don't know why it's important to me to get this out of this, but it feels to me like <clears throat> there's three me's. There's me, spirit, Christ. There's me, soul, where I spend 99.9% .9 of my time. And there's me, body, which I spend some of my time in. It feels like me, spirit, Christ, and me, body, are mortal enemies and are in mortal warfare. I sp feel like I spend most of my time in that soul position with experiencing this war going on. And it seems to me that that the renewing of the mind is, is, <coughs> is, is this process of warfare, the end result of which is renewed soul, which is no longer an isolated self, which knows that it's what it is, right. and that the last thing to come into subjection is the body. That's right. Oh, okay. That's what Romans 7 is all about. You know, I, when I want to do good, evil is present with me. Uh, what I want to do, I don't do. What I don't want to do, that I do. You know, I find that a law. When, when, when I desire to do good, evil is present with me. It's, it's a description of this warfare. And then he said, therefore, it is no longer I that do it, but sin which dwelleth in me. Well, the sin that dwelleth in you is the Antichrist. It's manifested in the control of body. Now, the real subtle question is, which part of mind or brain is Antichrist? And I don't know that we can define it. I know, I, you know, I, I know I can say the unrenewed part, but... I'm afraid that if we say that too often, then we'll get into this idea of the partial fallenness of mankind. Yeah, but, but somehow, through the mystery of this process of antagonism, the mind is renewed, that we would have the mind of Christ. And that happens only as we see through everything. Mentally so that we are, you know, as Norman Grubb says, we become see-throughers rather than see-adders. Anytime we look at we will be deceived. The Sufi Muslims have a saying that's, um, when the soul mourns for what it has lost, the spirit rejoices for what it has found. Nice. Okay, everybody understand what body, soul, and spirit is? Yeah, so as this process of antagonism proceeds, and as the as the mind is renewed, as the soul is renewed, then that line between soul and spirit starts to disappear. Disappear, so that soul and spirit become the same. But but it's interesting. And the body can be brought into stage. Right. It's it's interesting when you listen to religion. They will always talk about that you have to learn the mind of Christ by studying the Bible or thinking about God's stuff. Well, that's the opposite. Yeah, they start at the body. And the only way you, the, the only way, the, the mind of Christ is only reflected 
in the areas that you can abandon yourself in and give no thought. So it's this great mystery. Because every, you know, I, I, I listen. I, every once in a while I go through the process where I have to be a masochist. And I have to listen to Christian radio or Christian television. Well, every, I, I saw the common denominator. Every one of them is teaching you how to be godlike. And they do it by, okay, you have to memorize so many scriptures, or you have to, you know, act in a certain way, or you have to do, it's, all of them are trying to get there by the mind being not renewed from God's standpoint, but the mind being reprogrammed. Well, that didn't work. Yeah, I realize this is childishly simple, but it's like the mind, the unrenewed mind, our mind, thinks that the, the point of life, the locus of life, is, is, is body. And that's life. The mind has to see death in order to turn from, from that to the real locus of life, which is the spirit. The reason it is is because of the, the, the thing that we can see wherever we look, that life comes only out of death. Anything that you can see on your body is dead. So then any mind, this is another, okay, now this is another proof of this. Any mind then that is not the renewed mind, that is not the mind of Christ, is a liar. Right. Not for some religious reason. It's a liar because it it doesn't see the truth. It doesn't. Well, it's a liar because by it's a liar because genetically that organism is constructed to seek its own, and it'll seek its own in the name of God or in the name of Buddha or in the name of anybody. But as and and that what that's what it has to do, and so the only way out of that is death. Which, which is. It's programmed not to do. Right. And that's why, the, that's why the test is complete at the end of the process. Nothing. That's why God would say, can say literally, when, this, when, the, when, he, when, when, you, when you've reached a crossover point, when you've learned to distrust your own opinions, and you've learned to distrust your own sensory perception, and you've learned to distrust any, because you've seen not just the world, but you are vanity. And then God says, that's great. Now, he says to the world, to the devil, and the flesh, now take your best shot. Now, before that, you're protected. But God doesn't want you protected. He wants everything in the universe, in time and space that has ever been created, to come against you so that it, the testing is in every area. Then you can have true fellowship with the Father, where you're not a slave or a servant or your friend. Now what brought this about for me tonight is now the only mind, it's only the mind of Christ that can say and, and know I am a stranger and a sojourner. This is not it. Right. Because every, every other mind will try to make this a better place. They'll try to, they'll, well, they'll try to, you remember we talked about the word that, 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 that's the opposite of the stranger. It's the idea that they settle. You always want to settle. Even, even the people that are vagabonds, they want to settle for a time. Because 
But but again, everything on this, that's why it's so important to recognize that Abraham said it, Moses said it, David said it, Paul said it, John said it, now Christ is going to say it in the book of Revelation, that we are strangers in a strange land. This is not our home. No part of it. And those guys said it when they were in Jerusalem in the promised land. That can't be then the promise. Revelation 21. They saw through the type. Huh? They saw through the type. Right. They saw that it was an allegory. Revelation 21. Now, there are three places in the scriptures where somebody broke through time. Well, there's many, many, many more than that where they broke through time. But three places where they broke through time and saw a temple. One of them was Moses, one of them was Ezekiel, and one of them is this book of Revelation. And they what Moses saw was the tabernacle. Okay, Ezekiel saw it in a different basis. And then John here sees it. He saw it 2,000 years ago. If he, John saw it 2,000 years ago, it's got to be here now. I mean, he, John didn't, you know, he didn't, he wasn't propelled into the future. Time, there was a rip in the curtain of time, and he saw. And let's see what he saw. And remember now, when the angel is talking to John in the book of Revelation, he's always saying to him, "Come." the angel is always saying, come see, come see. Okay, that's my job, is to get you, to, um, is to say to you, come see. Come see what's finished. Come see what's completed. Come see what's been prepared from the foundation of the earth. Now, the only way you can enter that which has been prepared for you is to be fully tested. And that's the whole thing that this Bible is about. Okay, verse 21, chapter 21, verse 1. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. Well, in, in, in Greek, that could easily be saying the tabernacle of God is in men. With and in are both. As I saw that, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, or in them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be in them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain. For the former things are passed away. Now that's what's available now. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done, or it is finished. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things. Now again, the word overcometh is simply the word that means endures, which simply is the word that means abide. And I'll be his God and he shall be my son. 
But the fearful and unbelieving, okay, now listen to these. These are the kinds of things or people that aren't going to make it. The fearful, the unbelieving, the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and liars. They shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Now, it's interesting. The word, I mean, it means that clearly any, any fear is, from God's standpoint, equated with being a murderer. I mean, so, I mean, it's like this is the way of all flesh. Okay, and there, in verse 9, And there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come hither, and I will show thee the bride, the Lamb's wife. Now, th this guy's got, the, the, hear this. In a, a few chapters earlier, John looked and he saw the temple. And in the temple, he saw the ark. the ark opened. And when the ark opened, all of these seven vials and the seven plagues came rushing out. Just like it did, you know, I mean, a, a vain rep representation of it in the movie The Ark of the Covenant. Because everything inside the ark is death. And it's covered by the mercy seat. Now, the only way that ark is opened is by studying it. As we study and understand the ark, we are taking off the seven seals. And the ark is being opened. And the death is being released. That's why by our faithfulness we condemn the world. It's true. Now, we, we, we're just starting to force the lid a little bit. That's why the world's going to try to kill whoever's trying to open the door. Oh, yeah. Because just as Noah, by his faithfulness in building the ark, condemned the world, so by our faithfulness, in opening the ark through understanding, we condemn the world. You need to lie in it. Yeah, I do. I remember I was at a long time ago. We went to a cowboy game. Remember? It was a terrible, dumb game, and I hated it. And we were sitting way up in the second level, and it was just rotten. And, and, I, and everybody's running around and cheering all these dumb little people in their funny uniforms. And, and I said, if I were God, I'd wipe out the whole universe. Now, that makes me a bastard. Yeah. But it also makes me one who has seen what's on the other side. And nothing here is of value. And I long for that place, and I want to try to encourage and do whatever is necessary to cause you to long for that place. And everything on this side of that curtain of time is simply an allegory to reveal 
that perfect new Jerusalem, which is right here. All right. I, I defy anybody to look at someone who's dying of cancer and say that the end of time is a bad place. Yeah. Verse 9, And there came unto me one of the seven angels who had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come hither, and I will show thee the bride to the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain, and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, and her light was like unto a stone most precious even like a jasper stone, clear and crystal, when it goes on to describe it. Now, that's our home. Not Israel over there in the Middle East, not Dallas, Texas, not Louisiana or Richardson or New Jersey or Fort Worth or... I don't even know where you're from. But wherever you're from, it has nothing to do. That is not home. Our identity longs to be in the place from which we originated. And it's not dependent on anything. It's not dependent on the passage of time. It's finished. It's here. It's surrounding us. It's a reality that's all around us. Yeah, it's not dependent on space either. It's not dependent on space. And everything outside of the east gate of the New Jerusalem is Gehenna, the Valley of Hinnon, where the fire is burning because it's the dump of the New Jerusalem. It's not going there for punishment. It's simply that the stuff that's in there was once useful in the New Jerusalem, but when it's done being useful, it gets thrown in the dump. That's what the Valley of Hinnon, Gehenna is. It was the dump for Jerusalem. And everything that doesn't pass the test of time dependency is useful for a brief period of time. And then it's just like, a, it's just like you know, you have a box of cereal and you eat the cereal and then the box goes in the dump. Well, that's how God sees the human race, how God sees all of the world. We, that's why he says, use the world, but don't abuse it. Use it, just like you do a box of cereal, but don't give it any breath. Nothing in time and space is deserving of giving breath to. Not parents, not wives, not husbands, not plans, not ambitions, nothing. Why? Because our home is somewhere else. And we're simply here for a brief moment in time to be tested. And once we know that, then no test can ever hurt us. Because he completed the way. And he's our life. I just got a glimpse of it being like a, like we're, we're an army in, the, in, you know, the far, in a foreign land. And when you go there, you go there to, to do a job. You don't go there to, to buy a house and to, to get into the market. And, Amen. You, know, you go there to do a job, and then you go back home. That's right. And everything that is needful in that process <laughs> is provided automatically with no effort. 
Once you know, because it's all, all the battle is all in your mind. We war not against flesh and blood, but the spiritual wickedness here in the high places. So the carnal mind is trying to settle down in and decorate the dome. Right. <laughs> trying to eat the cereal box. And say it's not on fire. But do, do, can you see that clearly? And, and all the things that happened to us in this process, you know, including screaming and yelling at each other and, you know, whatever else happens, that's just, that's just part of the process. It doesn't mean anything. Now, the thing I want you to understand is that every major figure in the Bible knew this. When Abraham saw that he was in the promised land, he still said, I'm a stranger. When David was in New Jerusalem, in Jerusalem, physical Jerusalem, in the <coughs> physical land of Israel, he said, I'm a stranger. When Paul was in Jerusalem, in the promised land, he said, I'm a stranger. Every major figure in the Bible. Now, modern theology, by the way, all this crap about the restoration of Israel and being the key to latter-day prophecy is brand new in history. It didn't start until in the 1800s. And it started because it conformed to Zionism, which is a political movement, and it has nothing to do with spiritual truth. And Christianity engulfed it because it met their prejudices. And now we have the strange alliance between physical Zionism and evangelical Christianity that has more political power in the Western world than any other force. And it's the great deception. It's the world's greatest tourist. And that's why oil is, you know, what, what we're paying now for gasoline is because of that. Yeah. Well, all of stuff. Yeah. It's because it's, it's the center point of deception. Hmm. Not the center point of spiritual world. No, it's the center point of deception. And boy, they mm -hmm. ate it up when they, I'm sure when they found out that, hey, these, these Christians think... Oh yeah, well, I, as, I, as of seven years ago, the Israeli Tourist Bureau was spending $60 million a year to court modern evangelical Christians. The Holy Land Tourist. To make them believe that that was the Israel of God. If the Department of Transportation approves it, there will be a new airline, January 1st, called the Lord's Airline. That's wonderful. And its first route will be from Miami Beach to Jerusalem. <laughs> Can you see why Jesus said even the very elect, I mean, it were, if it were possible, even the very elect would be deceived? Can you imagine me saying this in the radio, by the way? I just, thought, I just had a thought. <laughs> why? That's why I prompted you. Oh. So neat to know that nothing, that nothing is, nothing else is required. There's no, it, it's the peace that passes understanding. It's perfect rest. It's, you know, it's everything. Well, I don't want to talk anymore. I was thinking today about light and darkness, and uh, I was thinking that, you know, in the scripture, darkness is always 
you know, like the bad part or something. But the darkness or blackness is is the presence of all colors, right? And it's like I was seeing it as like a um, when things are mixed, that's when it's darkness, and then light is just the absence, actually the absence of color. Well, it's even it's even more so. It's it's. Uh... Jesus said, if your eye is single, your whole body is full of light. But if your eye is double, then even the light that is within you is darkness. And how great mm. is that darkness? Mm. So the doubling, which is, it's, it's the seeing of two, uh, well, it's not seeing through is what it means. And then there's no light. But Jesus said, and, and I mean, David said in Psalm 139, that, if I, if I descend into hell, thou art there. If I ascend into heaven, thou art there. If I take the, the you know, uttermost wings of the morning and fly to the uttermost ends of the earth, thou art there. Behold, the light and darkness are alike unto thee. Remember, we've talked about light. Maybe not since you've been here, but... <clears throat> light is the only thing in the universe that's at constant speed. It's always at 186,000 miles per second. It doesn't accelerate. Now, that can mean only one thing from a scientific standpoint. It can only mean that light is everywhere. And it's mm -hmm. always there. And it's everywhere. There's as much light in my kneecap as there is in the sun or in that light bulb. Because it has no acceleration. Right. It has to be everywhere instantaneously. Now, because of that, all that what all that happens when we see perceived light is that there is enough resistance to cause the the, the molecules to rapidly vibrate to be seen. But and this this it's the same light where it says God is light, well, that and God is spirit. That proves that light and spirit are the same. And all that matter is, is spirit slowed down. And all that matter is, is hiding light. Hmm. Yeah, um, I heard of Einstein used to do, do these mind experiments to show, to show how his theories to make it easy for people to understand. And he had one where he said, if you have a, a light bulb in a, in a uh, a train and it's stand, the train's standing still and you turn the light on it reaches the wall in a certain period of time and he said if the, and then you have another or the same um, situation except the train's moving at 100 miles an hour the light still hits everywhere at the same amount of time so logically we would think it would be 100 miles an hour faster but right. it's, it's also as you approach the speed of light time depresses when you reach the speed of light, there is no time. So therefore, no time, light, and spirit are all the same. And therefore, all that matter is, is spirit slow down. Yeah, I've heard if you go faster than speed of light, then time will go back. Well, but that's, uh, that's, that's, a, that's a theoretical impossibility. I mean, by any, I mean, there's all kinds of science fiction writers that use it, but there's no, any, legitimate scientist would never postulate that you could go faster than the speed of light. But, so, but the point is, is to, to see is that light is everywhere. 
you know, light is, 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 is equally everywhere, and as much in this chair as it is in that light bulb. So it's kind of like we talk about unlearning things. It's like it's all there, but it's to, to be perceived, right. perceiving it more. That's always there. Right. And, and it, it's, if, if matter is simply spirit slowed down, then words or language is the interface between spirit and matter. And that's the, the real meaning of the preaching of the cross. It's the interface between spirit and matter. I don't want to, I don't, I'm, I'm giving Harry a headache. It makes me dizzy. I perceive it's true, but it makes me dizzy. It makes the earth. Dizzy.